0: Today, uh, if you didn't pick one up, it's on the back table here. If uh, if you're joining us online and want to join us uh, uh, remotely, um, please email us ahead of time, either Demi or Marissa, and we can get a, a community cup out to you uh, in your in your home. A uh, couple of things for RSVP. Uh, the link is in the newsletter. If you're not getting the newsletter, uh, please let us know, and we can make sure that uh, that you get the newsletter. Click the link in the uh, for the RSVP. If you don't have, it'll take you to the Facebook invite uh, page. If you don't have Facebook, uh, go ahead and keep emailing Marissa uh, if uh, uh, when you're coming. Um, a couple other things. Uh, community anchor groups, those are still ongoing. Uh, everybody in the church should be a part of an anchor group. They're how we do life together. We talk about the sermon. We talk about things going on in our lives. We pray for each other. So if you're not in an anchor group, please, please join one. And uh, if, if you need help uh, getting in touch with an anchor group, contact one of the deacons or the pastor uh finally uh for giving um we uh we still have our uh our box in the back where you can do online giving this isn't a you know shake down or get people to uh to give it's an act of worship it's how we uh it's how we show ourselves and show god that hey money's not the most important thing to me um and so we uh we worship in that way by giving in our tithes and offerings um Just uh, after the service, uh, we're going to funnel out the uh, the left side over here. And then you can uh, chat. We encourage everybody to uh, uh, meet with each other and catch up on everything. But we ask that it happens outside the parking lot uh, so we maintain all the social distancing and everything.
1: Uh, With that, uh, we're going to do a call to worship. All right. Everyone, please stand for the call to worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from Romans 8, 31 to verse 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn christ jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is in the right hand of god who is indeed interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation... Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, I believe. And use this assurance that we can stand firm against all the trials of life, and that we can save this song as we practice. Blessed assurance.
2: Blessed assurance.
3: with you to John 17, we'll pick it up in verse 6, we'll read down to verse 12. It's good to, uh, to see you all here, and it's good to see um, uh, some faces I haven't seen in quite some time. Let's go to John 17, verse 6. manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them that I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, and that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. and I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your precious, precious word. Give us the faith to believe in your word. And give us the grace to keep your word. By your Holy Spirit. And we trust these things to You. in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And podcasts have advertisements. And one of the most popular common advertisements that I hear, no matter what genre of podcast I listen to, is Having to do with security, security. systems, whether so that's home security or password security, and, and I don't think it's because these uh, home security businesses are losing money, but I think it's because they're generating more money because more and more people are becoming interested in home security, and then it just really shows a just a one of the basic instincts of the human being and that is the issues of self-preservation. That as we want to be protected. We want to feel secure. We want our loved ones to feel secure and safe and in a home. And when we lose that sense of security, when that security is breached, whether you lose that sense of privacy and it's hard to regain that sense of security that you once had. And then as valuable as security systems are, whether it's the home or for buildings, or even uh, security measures or protocols for the church are important, but like one of these things are, but they're, they can't do anything to protect the home or building from within. Right? A security system can't protect your marriage from dissolving. It can't protect a loved one from abandoning the faith. It can't protect your children from becoming attached to the world, or developing addictive patterns or behavior, these security systems are helpful, but they can only go so far.
2: And one of the most important commandments in
3: the scriptures given to the church is that the church maintain its unity. Right. That means that it's your responsibility to maintain the unity of the church. And that's an extra measure of security, the church, Christ has also given to the church, pastor elders. To help provide and maintain that unity. And then it's, and if you've been keeping up with the headlines, specifically in the evangelical world, you'll see that a lot of the issues of today's sensitive issues, such as race and then social justice and even same sex marriage, these things are actually dividing Christians from one another, dividing churches, and even dividing entire denominations. So, it's easy to kind of read the headlines and hear about these things that are happening in the Christian world and to think, well, what's, what's happening to the church? What's happening to Christ's bride? You no, know, can the church of Christ endure and survive? And that is why we have this prayer in John 17. And In John 17, Jesus makes five prayer requests. The first one we've already talked about, and that is the prayer for his own glory, which also results in the glory of God. And then, then he gets into praying for the disciples. The disciples will go on to become the apostles. The apostles will lay the foundation for Christ's church according to Ephesians chapter 2. And so the apostles are representatives of Christ's church. So essentially this prayer of Jesus in John 17 is a prayer for the church. So the bride of Christ for his church universal is a prayer for Seacoast Community Church. And before he gets into his first request for the church, Jesus lays the foundation in verses 6 through 8. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Your word you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you said me." As you been walking through the God Gospel of John, John you, you know, know that Jesus, Jesus ministered to a, a lot of people. But, but Jesus had a, a ministry with he had a in ministry, had a much, much narrower focus. focus. And, and then that was, was his, like disciples. That, he, his disciples. His disciples were, were the foot, the, 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 was the, was the, the object, was object of his most focused, focused attention. Attention. And and was attention. 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 And that's because it was important for them to understand and to <laughs> know who Jesus was, where he came from, and what he came on earth to do. And it was important for Jesus to manifest the name of God the Father to the disciples. Now, why is it so important that Jesus manifest the name of God to the disciples? And to answer that question, well, you need to think about, well, what's what's in a name? Because there's just a lot in a name, right? To say the name of Jesus makes you think certain things or feel certain emotions and believe certain things because you know the Lord. If I say the word, if I said the name Toyota, well you might think longevity, you might think reliability. When I, If I said the word Enron, well you might think lies, scandal, deceit, mistrust. If I said the name Hitler, you might feel angry, disgust, perhaps even some animosity. So there's a lot in the name. Saying a certain name, or think about a certain name, what generates certain thoughts and certain feelings. And in in Romans chapter 9, verse 17, I think it helps to clarify what Jesus means in John 17, 6. In Romans 9, that tells us what the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So Pharaoh, the kingdom of Egypt. Who would not let God's people go, and God commands him to let his people go, and he continues to harden his heart, disobeying God, and as a result, God brings about all these different miraculous events in order to display his power and then deliver his people from slavery in Egypt through spectacular miracles, all in order to show that there is a the God, that there is a the God of the heavens. And so that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth, so that when everybody hears the name of Yahweh, no matter where they are in the earth, they might revere that name, having heard of what God has done. And so God is intending to bring about his own glory, to spread the fame of his name across the world. And everything that Jesus did was intended to manifest the name of God. So, For example, in John five nineteen. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you that the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Son, the Father does, that the Son does likewise. But everything that Jesus did was in accord with the Father's plan. Everything that he did was according to the plan of God. He never stood outside of the will of God. And all it was intended to show that he was sent from God, that he was intended to point to God the Father. Jesus revealing the name of God is revealing is intending to reveal the fact that the God who provides such incredible deliverance in the past is the same God who has sent His Son to provide another deliverance whereas you and I know it's not different from the spectacular wonders that we see in the past in the scriptures this time that the Lord would save His people by sending His Son to the cross And so the truth the disciples have received and have kept is the truth that Jesus did come from God, that he was sent from God. In verses 7 to 8 of the passage, Jesus is clarifying what it means by the disciples keeping the words of Jesus. They know, that is that they know everything that Jesus has comes from God the words the words and even the disciples themselves have everything that Jesus has comes from God that's what they have come to understand and believe also that they have received the words of Christ and have come to know in truth, that Jesus came from God and that he was sent by God or right, I don't think this translates into saving faith I don't think they have that yet they have yet to understand that this sent one of God has to die and rise from the dead for the forgiveness of sins so Jesus is laying the foundation for the prayer request that he's about to make. And so today we'll only look at the first of those prayer requests. So Jesus prays for his people. And in verse 9 to 10, he shows us what is the aim of Christ through the church. Verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So Jesus is circling back to his prayer at the beginning of John 17, which is a prayer for glory. So one way that the Lord leads to to answer this request for glory is through his disciples. Jesus is imparting the gospel to his disciples and they will lay the foundation of the church and in this way he will be glorified and it is the way that Jesus continues to bring glory to himself throughout 2,000 years of church history untold today as the church continues to assemble and proclaim the gospel and as sinners continue to turn to Jesus Christ so it is for this reason that Jesus prays for his people and not for the world, it's not that Jesus hates the world or is not concerned with the world. You may remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world and He gave His only Son. As Christ continues with this prayer, He specifically prays for His people. And then we come to know what is this specific request that He's praying to God the Father. And that is... And that his people would be kept. Verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, and that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Jesus is returning to the Father. The disciples have yet to understand the entirety of Jesus' mission on earth. But they have, have at least understood well enough to know that Jesus is going to leave them very, very soon. And that they're saddened. That they've been feeling a sense of lostness. And perhaps even the sense of loneliness. And loneliness is not a good feeling. Right? If you've ever been, if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever ventured out on your own, to a new place, then you know what this sense of loneliness is like, right? For whatever reason, whether it's just looking for a new place or looking to change your career, you're leaving, sort of the security blanket that's there with a place of familiarity, that the place that you knew, that the friends that you've come to know for so long, the family, right, your family as well, and you wish that you could take them with you to where you're going. This new place where you don't know anybody and nobody knows you and you don't know the lay of the land, so to speak, you can feel, in a way, of alone. And this is surely how the disciples must have felt, knowing that Jesus was born to depart. And yet, as we've been reading through the Gospel of John, as we'll continue to see the Gospel of John, we know that Jesus Christ has not abandoned his church. And the church of Christ is never alone. No matter what is happening outside in the world, but they are not alone. This prayer request that God, God may keep them. So, so what does it mean to be kept when Jesus prays that you that, that God would keep his people? What does that mean? Well, well, certainly, it cannot mean to be kept from all pain and turmoil and anxiety or distress. To be kept by God does not mean to avoid suffering or be protected from persecution. Right. Even right. just what was before this, Jesus prayed. Jesus, Jesus warns his disciples yeah. that persecution, persecution is coming on un- account of un- 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 your fallen. And if you remember, we walked through the, uh, through the letter of First Peter. First Peter was written to Christians who were, were suffering, suffering and were being persecuted for the faith. faith. And, and Peter means to encourage the saints and tell them, do not think it's strange what's happening to you, as if this, was, this is supposed to happen to you, as if this isn't something, something that, that, uh, that is outside of God's will, but instead it's something to be expected because of your faith in Jesus and instead you should be looking to the hope of glory that awaits you. So instead what Jesus means by his people being kept is that they would not become lost as Judas was, which was in order to fulfill scripture. So Christians can suffer, Christians can be persecuted, but still remain in the protection of God. So, so that they are not lost. And we see, really I think, my opinion, I think a really striking example in the gospel itself, particularly in Luke 22. And Jesus, talking to Peter, in Luke 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sit you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And, and when, when you, you have turned against strengthening your brothers, I don't know about you, but if I was a Peter and his shoes, I would say, Jesus, why, why didn't you tell him no? Why, why didn't you tell them that, him that, he, that can't he, he can't have me. me? But the passage seems to indicate that Jesus allowed Satan to have his way with Peter. And in part why Peter goes on to deny the Lord Jesus two times. But what's the encouragement, the encouragement that Jesus and I have prayed for you, Mm -hmm. that your faith may not fail, and when you have returned, not if you have returned, but when you have returned, then strengthen your brothers. The the world may have its way. And you can penetrate into the unity of Christ's church. But what continues to to solidify the church, which is Christ's for the church that she may be kept. So, so that even when Satan attacks, is the church of the bride of Christ, Christ, Christ not is not lost, because Christ has prayed for the church. Also notice that as Jesus prays for his people to be kept, he prays that, that they may be kept in God's name we're circling back to the foundation of Christ's prayer, which began with the manifestation of God's name. If God's name is to glorify himself by the spread of the fame of his name across the earth, then to be kept in God's name must include God's own glory. God aims to preserve his people for his own glory. And in a sense, you can say that the glory of God is at stake. The fame of God's name is dependent upon the
2: preservation
3: of Christ's church. That if Christ's church is lost, so then also goes to the glory of God. So God, in a way, is binding his own glory to the preservation of Christ's church. And yet at the same time, the glory of God isn't at stake. Because God is sovereign, because God is omnipotent, and God is so zealous for his own glory that he will not... Permit his church to become lost. I saw, I saw a just a, research easy. ...on the internet recently but, about the, about churches in America. You, you know, know that every year about four thousand churches are planted in America. That's a huge number. number. We that, and we don't want to stop there. We, we want to continue to plant, plant more them. churches. However you guess how many churches close their doors each year? 3,700. 4,000 churches united each year, and 3,700 churches close their doors every single year. And it could be for a variety of reasons. It could be because of the issues that we hear about today, from social justice, racism, and same-sex like marriage. It could be for issues totally unrelated to those things. It's easy to see a statistic like that. To think, what in the world is happening to the rivals? What in the world is going to be happening to the church and the church to life? But there's, there's this, this is a word of encouragement in Acts 16, 18, a familiar passage. Our Peter and on this rock that is your, your confession, confession of, of Jesus Christ, Christ being the Son of God upon this rock upon this confession I will build my church and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it that no matter how many churches are closing their doors no matter how many churches are losing their unity because of everything that's happening without and everything that's happening within no matter what is happening the gate of hell hell itself Work, work, it's worse, much stronger what's happening, happening in the world and what's dividing churches. And if the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, then what we have, have we to fear. But the Lord continues to preserve the life of his church. It's essential in the preservation of the church is the unity of the church. Right, that's dependent upon you and me, and we'll get to that in the later sermon in John 17. So, what I'll say right, right now concerning that unity is that you and I are responsible for maintaining that unity. So this is a school work. God preserves his church, but we also are called to preserve the unity of the church as well. So that we too not die. So, so in light of this first request on behalf of right. Christ, so, so my exhortation to you and to you myself do you do you do you is that we would trust in and pray Christ's prayer for the church. But so now more than ever, we need to put our trust in Jesus Christ Christ's and trust in his prayer and in God's faithfulness to answer that prayer. It's easy to to read the headlines and become discouraged and even fearful as we read as we we about the, the, the threats to religious liberty. liberty. As we read about the, the, the division that's being caused by our different uh, different stances in, in Christianity with regards to things like marriage, we talk about race and social justice and how that even divided many Christians. And even as we think about the pandemic and still keeping many churches closed. But we need not fear because Christ is still the Lord of His church. And he has overcome the world. Because the Lord has preserved his church for over 2,000 years to this day. But then what reason do we have to doubt that God will be less than faithful today as he was, as he has been in the past? In fact, 2,000 years of faithfulness should be more than enough to encourage us to trust him to be more than faithful for another 2,000 years. Christ has not abandoned his pride. And if the church can survive. The terrible persecution that she had to endure under the Roman Empire, and times were much worse back then than we are today. But we can trust the Lord to continue to be faithful to us. And we can trust that the church will survive. Recently, the church has had to endure the sad loss of what we might call giants in the faith, such as Robbie Zacharias, R.C. Scroll, Jamie Packer. Right, right, we love these men. We're thankful for these men and the, in their ministries, and how they have taught us about God, and how they have taught us to understand the Scriptures, and how they have helped us to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we look to other other ministries as well, as we look to the ministries of say John Piper or John MacArthur or David Platt or whoever your favorite Christian author or scholar is, right, we might think, "Wow, well, the church needs these men." And in a sense, we do. But they will also pass away. You might be tempted to think, how can the church survive without these men? But I would say that the church has suffered greater losses in the past. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards. And you know what? The church continues to survive to this day which tells us, which teaches us that, that the survival and preservation of Christ's bride is not dependent on any man. It's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon me, but it's dependent solely on Jesus Christ. And God's faith was to answer that prayer that Christ's bride has. I comes a story once of a pastor who was ministering in just a very, very rough neighborhood just with gangs and with, uh, infested with drugs and he, and he actually struck, struck up a really good relationship with a gang leader. And one day he was in his house and his kids were playing on the sidewalk. And he looks at the next door, I think, and he sees one of the gang lead, one of the gang members in a drug deal. I mean, he sees the exchange of drugs and money, and he calls the police. And then the gang leader finds out, and they have a good relationship. And he comes to the door, and he knows where he lives. And he comes in. I don't know how he found out that the, to call the pastor was the one who called the cops. he comes in. He says, "Pastor." of my guys. And then I was just, I'll how can I my kids are playing right in. there? Right. Right. there's that's this joke happening you having to my very eyes, eyes. and I, I just like, might even understand you that. But the gang so yeah, keeps saying, no, pastor, you can't, you can't do that. I can't have you do that. You see, every time I see you get out your house and then walk to wherever you're going, I always tell my boys, hey, boys, as the pastor. Watch out for him. Take care of him. Make sure nobody touches him. When I see your wife, walking down the street a few blocks, and goes to the grocery store I tell my boys hey that's the pastor's wife look out for her make sure that nobody touches her when I see your kids playing outside I tell my boys hey those are the pastor's kids keep a close watch on them protect them make sure that nobody touches them you see I can't have you call the cops of my boys and the pastor at that moment was like okay?" Hey. <laughs> <laughs> what well, you think that's right or I'm here to debate that, that but The point is, is that the pastor had no idea that the reason why, and that the Lord uses anybody, clearly, in this situation, but the reason why nobody had touched him, even though he was in a rough neighborhood and anything could happen, that nobody touched him or his family, because this gang leader was keeping an eye out for him, because he had that much respect for him. The Lord continues to keep a close watch. His bride. I'm not trying to compare the Lord to a king here, but the Lord is much better than a king here. But He keeps such a close watch on His church in ways that you and I will never be aware of, in ways that you and I do not see right now. He continues to protect His church, to protect every single one of you, so that you may not be lost. And even though sometimes it might feel like you're only moments from becoming lost. But the reason why you're still standing here today and coming here and worshiping the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and is because the Lord has kept you for this long, and He will keep you, and He will keep us. Jesus, Jesus prays for him. the church and not for the world. And as I said before, it's not that He's not concerned with the world; it's not that He hates the world. In fact, the fact that I think that He that He prays for His church. ...shows that he is concerned for the world. Because what is the problem of the world? The problem of the world apparently is sin. As long as there are people in the world, as long as sin is in the human heart, there will always be strife, there will always be dissension, there will always be animosity, there, there, there will always be violence, there will always be injustice, there will always be racism. of sins is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church of Christ contains that precious gospel within herself. So if you are concerned for lost people, then by all means pray for them, but also pray for the bride of Christ. Pray for our church. Pray for the church universal. Pray that the church would not become lost. Because if the church is lost, if the bride of Christ is lost, then there goes the gospel, and there goes man's only hope. Pray for dying churches. Pray that we may be kept. Pray that the Lord may continue to keep us. Pray that the Lord would keep us for the sake of his own name. And he who is faithful will surely do it. great Corinthians 4 7. Because we have this treasure, this gospel in jaws of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Because we are kept by God the Father. we face the of that. And then in response, Uh, our communion together and this is helpful for us to remind us that we are kept by Jesus Christ because taking the bread and the cup reminds of the gospel reminds us of the cross and that Jesus Christ died on the cross on behalf of the sinners and he who paid such a high price to save us we can trust will also keep us so we take this bread and this cup, we take this bread that represents the bruised and the body of Jesus Christ. We take the cup which represents the blood of Jesus Christ. Shift the remission of sins to, to represent for us the new blood of the covenant of grace. So that anyone who places their faith and trust upon Jesus Christ receives the forgiveness of their sins. And they are no longer lost, but are kept in the protective hands of God the Father. as brothers and sisters in Christ. So, if you have believed in the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and trusted your life to Him, and have, been, have received the baptism, then you are invited as brother or sister to take this meal with us. But if anyone happens to happens not yet to have placed their faith upon Jesus Christ, and then you still remain lost. But today can be the day of salvation to you confess your sins unto the Lord, if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, God, Savior, and trust your life to Him, then you can be saved today, you can be kept today. But if you have to believe in Jesus Christ, then we ask Him, don't take this meal with us, because this is the family meal, and the scriptures tell us that anybody who takes and takes this covenant, one worthy man that's apart from faith... On yourself, and I would want to scare you at that judgment. So, if you would, if you haven't uh, done so already, you would just you can remove the fill in the top. We'll take the cup together, and then we'll do the same with the cup. We'll take the bread together, then the cup, and then we'll pray and we continue to worship the Lord song. This is also be a reminder the fact that Jesus will return. That part of our being kept, it is the promise that Jesus, who was a bridegroom, will return the bride. And he will take us up with him, and we will be seated with him at the great banquet, and take this meal together. 1 Corinthians 11.23 says, for I received from the Lord, but I delivered also to you. But that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is to the In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant for my blood. To do this as often as you drink it and in remembrance. Lord Jesus, we we come before you today, gather today. Because you have ordained that we be here. Because you have kept us for this wonderful prayer. God, may you put this prayer in our hearts so that we may pray this for ourselves so that we may pray this for our church so that we may pray this for your pride universal. Keep your church, oh Lord. Protect your church. Preserve us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We trust you for these things. We trust you, Lord, because we know that you will keep your church glory and you who pay such a high price to save us we will not give us up
1: Jesus Christ